0: Do you have anyone that you could point to this morning and say, that person is my friend, and we are as close as a brother or a sister? For most of us, I would guess the answer would be no. You see, the truth is that most Americans are friendless and lonely. What is even more surprising is that the men amongst us mostly feel isolated and alone past several years, there have been many studies done, much research about interpersonal relationships. Writers and scientists have studied the rubric of what makes for successful relationships. The result has been new information on how to form such successful relationships, including marriage, friends, families, and other types of interpersonal relationships. Yet, with all the new information that has been gained by these studies, many people still have no clue as how to form and maintain lasting relationships. Let me ask you again this morning as we begin, how many close friendships do you really have? Have you and your spouse developed any close interpersonal relationships with other couples? Are you free to be yourself with other people? If not, why not? Why is it that we find forming relationships so threatening? Why is it that we cannot even get close to other believers in Christ? Ralph Waldo Emerson, the great poet, once commented on this, saying, We take care of our health, we lay up money for retirement, we make our roof-tight Our clothing is sufficient, but who provides wisely that he should not be wanting in the best properties of all? Friends. Well, you might be thinking to yourself as I've introduced this topic this morning, what's all the fuss about? I'm doing just fine. I have all the friends that I really need. The truth is you've probably settled for no friends at all, if you were to be honest with me this morning. But most of us are afraid to admit the truth and maybe it's just because we don't sense that deep need within us for intimate, personal relationships with others. Americans have become so jaded by the constant invasion of their privacy by telemarketers and by the ever-present surveillance cameras that we find everywhere, that they don't even recognize their desperate need for intimacy. In many ways, the boob tube has replaced relationships in our lives. We bought into the phony relationships we see on TV. They even have programs called friends. To be fair, we might desire close intimate relationships, but we really deep down believe that we can live without them. Most of us think about friendships the way that we think about tinsel on a Christmas tree or dressing with our Thanksgiving dinner. Oh yeah, tinsel would be great. And dressing is really nice with our turkey. But both are kind of totally unnecessary to enjoy the season. Let's be honest with one another. We need friends. It's during the most difficult times of life that we especially need friends. When we are hurting, when we recognize that we'd like somebody with a little flesh on their bones near us to comfort us in those desperate times. Years ago, the UCLA football coach was in in the midst of one of those seasons that was just a disaster. The losing had become so bad that it had disrupted his home life. Pepper Johnson, the coach, speaking of this time later, said this, my dog was my only friend. I told my wife that a man needs at least two friends. So she bought me another dog. You laugh. But we really need people. We need other men and women to be friends with us, to care about us. We need the love and the companionship, kindred spirits. Every human being needs other human beings to share life with. We try to hide our needs. Some of us might even point to the Bible and and claim looking at the characters in Scripture that they didn't need friends. Look at Isaiah and Jeremiah. Sawed in half, speaking out against sin of Israel, left alone. Then there's John the Baptist wandering in the wilderness, you know, all of a sudden just appearing out of nowhere and telling people they need to repent. They didn't need friends. Well, you and I aren't, Isaiah. We're not Jeremiah. And we're certainly not John the Baptist. We are social beings who need other people for support and comfort in desperate times. The truth is that God has created us with a need for interpersonal relationships, with intimacy between ourselves and others. God created us for fellowship, for friendship. Most of us are aware here this morning from our Bibles, from good doctrine, that God created us in his image and for a purpose. God made Adam because he needed a friend. He made you and I to be friends with himself. In our text this morning, we might look at one of those people who some would think was a loner. Some might claim that the Apostle Paul was just another one of those lonesome cowboys doing the will of God in Scripture. But is that really true? While it is true that Paul did stand alone at times, standing by himself on Mars Hill, declaring the truth of Jesus Christ To the philosophers who laughed. Paul suffered much. He was beaten by rods by himself. He was thrown overboard by himself into a raging sea. He was stoned by himself by an angry crowd, but Paul still needed people. Paul still had his friends. In fact, Paul was a man of incredible talent and drive, but he was also a man of great friendships. With that as our introduction, would you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philippians, chapter 2, and we're going to pick up where we left off last week in verse 19. In our text today, it's my hope that we can explore this notion of developing and maintaining intimate friendships, especially in the body of Christ. If you need to use one of our pew Bibles, you can find this passage on page 162, excuse me, 1,162. Recently, as we began this study of the book of Philippians, we learned that Paul wrote this epistle from his prison cell in the city of Rome. He was awaiting his imperial trial. He sent this letter to his dearest of friends, the Philippians. And they were there to meet his need during this desperate hour. I would like you to notice as we begin in verse 19 that in order to develop Meaningful and lasting relationships, we must be concerned about others. We must be concerned about others. You know, it's interesting as I listen to conversations with other people, when I interact with other people, you know who they talk about most? Themselves. What a sin. What a sin to think only about yourself. Paul was desperately interested in other people. If we desire intimate personal relationships in our lives, we must be interested in others. We must have a deep concern about other folks. Paul was concerned for others. Look with me at verses 19 and 20. But I hope, says Paul, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that also. I may be encouraged when I learn of your condition, for I have no one else of kindred spirit who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Do you see it? Paul's concern was for the Philippians' welfare. He wasn't overly concerned with his own circumstances, being in jail, awaiting trial for, for his very life. And yet, what was he concerned about? The Philippians' welfare. Welfare. As I stated, if each of us needs and desires intimate personal relationships, it begins with mutual caring about one another, being concerned with others. The trouble is we often don't want to take the time that it takes to create and sustain a friendship. We make the mistake of thinking that meeting one another's needs is all that friendship is about. When in actuality, meeting someone else's needs many times is just a form of self-centeredness. Meeting your own needs by helping someone else. Fortunately, the Bible offers us examples upon which we can model our friendships. We can see it fleshed out in biblical characters and we can use the biblical principles we find demonstrated in their lives to base our own personal relationships with. In this text this morning, we will see that Paul had two dear friends. Timothy and Epaproditus. Now, I want you to all go home and try to say that name 10 times. And Jennifer, if you really want a name for that baby, Epaproditus would be a great one, I think. It must be borne in mind that intimate friendships just don't happen. They just don't happen overnight. They must be cultivated. You must do your part. You must have a concern for others. I think of David and Jonathan in the scriptures. They didn't just become close friends overnight. It didn't happen in a week, but it happened over years. I'd like to share with you now six biblical principles that I find are necessary for building friendships. The first of those six principles of friendships is illustrated in the lives of Paul and Timothy and Paul and Aphroditus, as we will see in this text this morning. Now, they're not found in the text, but I'm going to share them with you as a basis upon which to build. The first biblical principle is, principle is this. Number one, friendship is only possible when two individuals share core values with one another. Let me flesh this out for you a little bit as a believer. If you are a Christian, you must share the core doctrines and beliefs with others if you are to have an intimate personal relationship because they will certainly divide you if you don't. Christian friends must believe mostly the same things. Intimacy in any relationship, Christian or non-Christian, can only be deepened when we, were on this, when we are on the same page with one another. Principle number two. Friendship is the establishment of a covenant between two people. Virtually every important relationship in our culture is accompanied is accompanied by some ritual or ceremony. Of course, marriage is the best example of that, where the covenant is honored by the marriage ceremony. I guess that's why the homosexual lobby has put marriage under such an attack in our nation today. Clearly, the Bible encourages such establishments of a covenant between two people. We see Jonathan and David having such a covenant of friendship with one another. In 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 3 it says that Jonathan made a covenant, a promise with David. Why? Because he loved him as himself. Jonathan made a promise to David that he would honor their relationship, their friendship, Today, we often verbalize these things through phone calls or cards that we send to one another, telling that other person how much we appreciate them, how much we care for them. Principle number three. Friendship is always based upon faithfulness to one another. Faithfulness to one another. Nothing will ruin and destroy a relationship faster than unfaithfulness or distrust. When we believe another person is our friend and we find out that they cannot be trusted, that friendship will be broken. A friend always keeps intimate conversations private. We do not reveal the personal secrets of others, of our friends to others. Such a person would be found undependable and could not be considered a friend to be trusted. The book of Proverbs puts it this way, stick closer to Stick closer than a brother, and do not forsake your friend. Here is my point. Faithfulness is the critical issue in friendship. If you cannot trust someone, if you cannot depend upon that person, it will ultimately destroy the relationship. I know this sounds simplistic, but it needs to be reiterated today. The reason so many folks have trouble finding friends and forming lasting relationships is they can't trust other people. Principle number four. Friendship means social involvement with that other person. We live in a highly mobile society. Statistics tell us that 25% of the people in the United States move every year. Why should I make friends? The rationale goes, They're just going to move next year, or at least within the next four years. Just look at the Palmers and Jack Raymond. They're homeless. The truth is, the truth is, few of us are willing to commit to one another because they might not just be there next year. And yet the scripture admonishes us to be good neighbors to reach out to those around us. Consider the example of the good Samaritan who became involved in the life of another another person he did not even know. And what did that good Samaritan do? He was inconvenienced. He gave of himself. He gave of his own monies. And he ministered to that man whom he considered his neighbor. Let me ask you, how much time are you willing to invest and someone to be their friend? How much money are you willing to invest in that person whom you might not even know? If we are going to build intimate personal relationships and reach out to a lost and a dying world, we must be willing to spend time, to spend money, to invest ourselves in others. How could you even quantify such a blessing in life? To have a friend, no matter what the cost or the time to have a dear friend that you can share with. Principle number five, friendship must mean you are open to reproof. Friendship means that we must be open to the reproof of our friend. We must listen and hear what that person has to say to us about our lives. We must be honest with that person. We must allow them to rebuke us if necessary. That kind of friend is far more valuable than a friend who just is insincere and agrees with anything that we say. The scriptures say, the book of Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. We might not like those wounds, but they certainly will change us and mold us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Principle number six. Friendship means mutual respect. Again, that sounds very simplistic. But it's so hard to find people that will respect you today for your beliefs and who you are and what you stand for. The Word of God teaches that each and every person is individually created and uniquely created in the image of God. Therefore, each of us has worth and dignity and is worthy of respect. That worth is not based upon what we do, but upon He who created us. Believers should respect what God has created and what He loves because He gave His Son for that creation. Now looking back at our text, let's pick up again in verse 20 where we will see that developing meaningful relationships means that we must be willing to sacrifice for others. Please notice what Paul sacrificed. He sacrificed his personal relationship with Timothy for the Philippians. To send Timothy to them was at great personal cost to himself. He's in jail, and he's going to send his one comfort, his closest friend to the Philippians to comfort them. For I have no one else of kindred spirit, Paul says, who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Close, intimate, personal friends are hard to find. And yet here Paul says, Timothy, my kindred spirit, I'm going to send him to you. You know, that's really an interesting word that's used there, kindred. It's only used once in the New Testament. And that word kindred in the Greek carries the idea of being same-souled. Same-souled. We talk about soulmates today, don't we? We, we, we almost use it as a vulgar term within our culture But have you ever enjoyed a relationship with someone that they were your kindred spirit? They had the same passion that you have. They had the same desires. They were totally like-minded as you. What a blessing to have a friend that loves you and thinks like you and is moving in the same direction, has the same purposes in life. A kindred spirit. Someone who loves the Lord Jesus Christ with the same passion that you do. Wants to minister for him, just as you do. That's what Jonathan and David had together. They were kindred spirits. That's what Timothy and Paul experienced in this text together. They were same-souled. If you don't have a friendship like that, I feel sorry for you. God intended for us to enjoy one another, to be friends with one another, to be kindred spirits. Paul says to his beloved Timothy, I have no one else of same soul and spirit as you. These two men thought exactly alike. Their personalities complemented one another. They were equal in thought and in action and in deed. They knew it and they cherished it. To have a kindred spirit is like having someone who knows your very heart your thoughts before you think them. He or she understands your most intimate feelings. This person sees things from your unique perspective. He or she understands your motives without judging them. This person is someone you don't need to make excuses to or to defend yourself to. Paul enjoyed this relationship with Timothy and with Aphroditus. We should have such relationships in our our lives as well God desires your friendship and desires that you enjoy personal relationships with other people just as Paul and Timothy did their intimacy was so close it was not only relational but it was spiritual as well in verse 21 we see the second reason for Paul and Timothy's abiding relationship look with me there Paul writes of others For they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ. But you know of his, that's Timothy's, proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Timothy was a man who didn't toot his own horn. He was not concerned with his own interests like other people were. Timothy wanted to do God's will. Timothy proved himself to be a friend of Paul's through his godly character. We must prove ourselves to others. We must prove ourselves to other people. If we are to ever have intimate friendships, it takes proving yourself to that person. Do you remember last week that Paul said Jesus did nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit? Jesus was the perfect example of humility. And we were admonished by that text to be humble servants as Jesus was. So was Timothy. That's what Paul is saying here. Timothy was not motivated by ambition or selfishness. He was a humble servant. He proved himself. I remember the story of Gail Sears and Brian Piccolo. Of course, I'm a Chicagoan by birth, and uh, Gail Sayers being the greatest Chicago running back outside of Walter Payton uh, was news back in the mid-60s. And in 1967, they made tremendous news, Piccolo and Sayers, because it was the first time an African-American had roomed with a white professional football player. Sears had never had a close relationship with a white person before, and obviously Piccolo had never had a close relationship with an African-American before. They were interviewed and asked about the secret of their close personal friendship. It was before a game in 1969, an exhibition game in Washington, D.C., and the young cub reporter from the Chicago Tribune came to them and said, ''How do you guys get along?'' Well, being close personal friends, they kind of took this interview as somewhat of a jest. And Piccolo answered the question, we're okay as long as he doesn't use the bathroom. The reporter was taken aback a little bit. And he said, well, what do you fellows talk about then? And Sarah's piped in, "Well, well, we talk mostly about race relationships. Then Piccolo piped up. Nothing but normal race relationships. Then the reporter got a little bit serious, and he asked the uh, men, if you had your choice, who would you want to roommate? And Sarah's, in dead seriousness, said, if you're asking me what Italian football player from Wake Forest I'd want to room with, it could be no one else but pick. Underneath all of this jesting and joking and good time, was a close personal relationship between two men, which was tested, as you know by the movie, in the midst of difficult times. After the 69 season, Piccolo was struck with cancer. He fought the cancer with all his might. And during the season that came, he was in and out of hospitals. And he also played in the games. The two men had planned at the end of the season to go to the professional football writers annual dinner in New York where Sayers was to receive the first annual George S. Hallis award as being the most courageous football player for the year. He had overcome a devastating knee injury from 1968. But instead of going to the dinner together, Piccolo was in the hospital confined because of another relapse of his cancer. Gale Sayers stood and he walked to the platform to accept that award and these are the words that he spoke. You flatter me by giving me this award, but I tell you, here and now, I accept it for Brian Piccolo. Brian Piccolo is a man of courage who should receive this award instead of myself. I love Brian Piccolo, and I'd like you to love him too. It is not often that we speak, especially men, of loving other men. Men tend to throw words around like I love you as they would toss around manhole covers. How our lives would be enriched if we would do so. To share our deepest affection and love for our friends as Piccolo and Sayers did. Of course, our affection would be focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that he loved us, allowing us To love others. I believe every human being longs for intimate, personal relationships. What is it that's keeping you this morning from developing that in your life? We need to develop those relationships. It means trusting others. To develop personal relationships that are intimate, we must trust others. Paul and Timothy... Paul and Aphrodite were as close as brothers. Why? Because they had total confidence in that other person. We must develop personal relationships with others by trusting them. That's why Paul could be such close friends with Timothy. He trusted him. Look with me at verse 23 and 24. Therefore, I hope to send Timothy immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord, and I myself shall also be coming shortly. Paul sent Timothy in his place because he knew it was as good as if he was going himself. He could trust Timothy as much as he trusted himself. He knew Timothy could handle the job. He had no misgivings about it. Timothy was his right-hand man. If we're going to develop close interpersonal relationships with other people, we must trust them. Paul was sending his faithful, trustworthy friend Timothy to minister in his stead. Not only does developing close personal relationships mean mean trusting other people, it means sharing with others as well. Look with me at verse 25. I thought it necessary to send to you, Aphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Developing personal relationships means sharing our friends with others. So oftentimes when we have a close personal relationship with someone else, we want to hog them. We want them to be our friend and no one else's friend. But Paul says, here I'm going to send Timothy and Aphroditus, my personal brothers, my fellow workers, my fellow soldiers. Paul doesn't hog them and keep them to himself. He shares them with the Philippian church. You'll recall that Aphroditus had come to Rome from Philippi to deliver an offering that the Philippian church had received to support Paul while he was in prison in Rome. Aphroditus had wanted to stay. He had wanted to serve Paul, take care of his needs while he was in jail. But then Aphrodite became sick. He became so sick that word spread throughout the New Testament world that he was about to die. Paul speaks in this text of of Aphrodite in glowing terms. He's my brother. He's my fellow worker. He's a fellow soldier. We fought the good fight together. He was God's messenger and minister to my needs, says Paul. Pretty high praise, don't you think? Pretty high praise. Why is it that Aproditus and Timothy were so dear to, Tim, to Paul? Because they were same-souled. They were kindred spirits. They did everything together. They ministered together. Paul was willing to share them, his dearest companions, his dearest friends, with the Philippians If you desire this morning to have close, intimate, personal relationships with others, you must be willing to share your friends with other friends. Notice in verse 26, we see Paul's motivation in sending Timothy and Aphroditus to the Philippians. Aphroditus was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him, not only on him, But me also, says Paul, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Aphroditus and Timothy went to Philippi for good reason, to minister in Paul's stead. The church at Philippi was worried to the point of apprehension about Aphroditus' health. And Paul says his visit's going to put you at ease. Paul was so worried about his friends at Philippi that he was willing to be separated from his kindred spirit for the sake of others, for the sake of others. God had shown mercy in bringing Aphrodite back to hell. Paul said he would have been overwhelmed with grief, sorrow upon sorrow, if something had happened to his dear friend. So what does Paul do? He sends them thousands of miles away. He sends them to Philippi because he was concerned about the Philippians as well. But that might not make sense to us. We'd want to hold on to paradise. We'd want to hold on to Timothy. We'd want to cherish that relationship. But Paul, it made total sense because he was concerned about the welfare of the Philippians. Paul's eyes were not, about, were not on himself and his needs. They were not on his own self-centered circumstances. Paul was concerned about the needs of others. Verse 28, therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly in order that when you see him again, you may rejoice. And get this, I may be less concerned about you. Don't worry about me being chained to this Roman centurion. Don't worry about me that I have to ask permission and have the bracelets taken off to go to the bathroom. Don't worry about me that the only food that I get is by what people provide for me and clothing. Don't worry about me, I'm concerned about you. Boy, if we could just develop that sense of friendship and concern for others in our lives, it would be contagious and the world would turn to Jesus Christ in mass. If you look in verse 28 again, I'd like you to notice something there. There's a, a little word that's used there that we might overlook. Therefore, I've sent him more eagerly in order that when you see him again, you may rejoice, that you may rejoice, that you may rejoice. Paul's decisions were driven by his concern for others, that they might rejoice, that they might rejoice. Seeing God's people comforted and joyful was Paul's concern. God had healed Epiditus and had preserved him for ministry, and Paul was so totally concerned about his Philippian friends that he sent Aphrodite to them. Paul now gives some instructions on how we should treat our friends. I'd like you to see that. If we're going to develop relationships, it means treating people right. If we're going to develop personal, intimate relationships, it means we must treat other people right. We must treat our friends right. Look at verse 29. Therefore, receive him, that's Aphrodite's, "...in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like Him in high regard, because He came close to death for the work of Christ, risking His life to complete what was deficient in your service to me." The first thing that we should notice is that joy should spring out of our relationships with others. We should be joyful because Dennis and Robin are here this morning. They have joyfully served in Poland completing the ministry that God has chosen them to do. Something that you and I couldn't do, we should rejoice that they're here and that we had a part in that ministry. We should do we should do the same thing when God does something great in a friend of our life. We should rejoice when God is doing something great in our friends' lives. Here Aphroditus had recovered from the serious illness that could have taken his life and all of his friends should rejoice. That's the first thing that we need to notice. Notice Paul encourages them to treat his friends and their friends with respect. Treat these men with respect. Hold them in high regard, for they have been of service to me. Don't treat them like Paul's two lackeys. I'm not just sending you two guys because I can't come. Hold these men in high regard. Honor them, esteem them. They have served the Lord. Rejoice with my friends in the ministry. They have proven themselves. They have risked their life and limb for the Lord Jesus Christ and for me, says Paul. Aphrodite exposed himself to all kinds of danger, even coming to the point of flirting with death. Rejoice that he's recovered. Treat him with respect. During the U.S. Civil War, the Grand Army of the Republic was led by Ulysses S. Grant, the great general. Grant had a wonderful friend during the war, and that friend served him as his chief of staff. That friend was from Galena, Illinois, and was a lawyer named John Rawlings. Now, most likely, you've never heard of John Rawlings. But Rawlings was very close to General Grant, closer than any other human being during that war. And it was Rawlings who helped keep General Grant from using alcohol while he was on the battlefield. When he broke his pledge to stop drinking, Rollins was the man who went to him and with great earnestness pleaded the cause of the Union, saying, for the sake of your country, stop drinking. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Well, today in Washington, just outside our Capitol building, stands a wonderful park and monument to General Grant. He is sculpted, sitting high on his horse, with reliefs of battles in which he had won to each side. But what most people don't know is if they were to travel to the other side of that same park that sits in front of our Capitol building, in the midst of some brush away from public view, is another small statue. There, a very ordinary man stands, and of course, that's John Rawlings. If you ever get a chance to go to that park, don't miss it. At one end is the huge relief of General Grant sitting on his horse, and on the other end is the friend, the man behind the great man, who kept General Grant sitting on that horse, kept him from falling off it drunk, and in a stupor. We should contemplate having friends in our lives. We should thank God for them when they come and they help us in our times of desperate need. We should be thinking about developing these relationships just as Paul did with Timothy, just as Paul did with Aphrodite, just as Jesus did with his 12 disciples. You'll remember he called them friends. The Lord would like to be your friend today. He would like to be your kindred spirit. He'd like to be same-souled with you. If you'd like to be the friend of Jesus, you need to trust him. You need to obey him. You need to believe in him. Take him at his word. Jesus says that we are all sinners separated from God by our sin that he has provided the way of salvation, that he died on the cross at Calvary, that he shed his blood, that he suffered the penalty for our sin. He died in your place. He died in my place so that I might not have to suffer the penalty for the sins of not only those that I've committed but inherited from Adam. Jesus died for us. What greater friend could there be that one who would take and suffer the punishment that I deserve? He suffered your punishment as well. If you've never trusted Christ, if you've never received the free gift of eternal life today, don't leave this place without having done that. Jesus wants to be your friend. He's proved his worth. He died for you. And he rose again, conquering sin, death, and the grave. And he lives forever with his Father in heaven. And we will join him there upon our deaths or at his return. I don't know about you, but I thought there was going to be an amen there. I thought that's what Christianity was all about. Jesus Christ, our friend. We all need a friend like Jesus. But you know, we we need a friend like Jesus with a little flesh on, don't we? Paul had Aphroditus. Paul had Timothy. Jonathan had David. Jesus had his disciples. Who do you have this morning? May I challenge you this morning to make your friends within the body of Christ, to know someone so intimately that you can work together, that you can share together, that you can be soulmates together in the good sense of the word develop friendships within the body. Develop friendships outside the body with men and women that you can then bring to Christ. Be a friend to others as Christ has been a friend to us. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for the testimony of Paul that he had friends. Father, we need other people. Help us to develop relationships within your body and With those in the world, help us, Father, to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to imitate those models we see in Scripture. Help us to put other people first in our lives, to quit thinking about our needs, Father. Help us to think about the needs of others and to truly be their friends. You will enrich our lives for it. We pray this in Christ's name.